0: Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship more accessible by sharing down-to-earth horse training advice, practical tips, and examples from our own experiences as up-and-coming trainers. If you'd like your horsemanship questions answered on the podcast, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash lundallhorses. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Lundell Performance Project Horse Podcast. Today we're breaking down questions regarding headset issues and head carriage in general versus the common cliche things that get recommended to people, especially when they ask for help on the internet, some of the things that they get told versus our perspective on correcting those issues. And we're also going to build on our discussion of advanced stopping. By this point, we've done certain drills both on and off the fence that, have really gotten that horse to commit with his hind end, start understanding what his job is, and now we can start the refinement process and get him stopping really well. To start with, let's talk about headset. This is a common question, and just to state our answer and perspective on headset right off the bat, we don't really care about headset on any horse in the beginning. Our big focus is on lateral softness suppleness, getting them moving off of our leg, bending around our leg, getting them broke, getting them mentally soft, as we call it, and relaxed and tolerant about being taken a hold of and handling pressure. If you do your job on that front, the horse's natural talent will sort of get activated the more confident and relaxed and broke he gets, to where if your horse has a high headset, or they don't really have a lot of athletic talent, they can't really frame up and carry themselves in a collected way, they're still soft and broke and maneuverable. But if you have a really talented horse, especially one with a nice low headset that kind of naturally carries himself collected, it's like that brokenness activates the natural talent that was already in that horse. And so it's not a big deal to really teach him to frame up and run nice and pretty. So most of the time, the people asking those questions haven't focused enough yet on getting the horse soft and getting him broke. They're nowhere near the stage of like a more refined show horse where we're teaching the horse to carry and stay in frame and all that stuff. They're not even remotely close to that point yet. But I think a lot of people jump the gun and they don't like it when the horse has got his head up in the air. You know, or he's trying to get over the bridle and they don't realize that there's more going on than him just putting his head up. That's more or less a symptom of just stiffness and not being broke, especially through the body. Yes, and I think uh,
1: confirmation plays a part in it. And in the beginning stages, let's say before I even really get my hands on a horse and start softening them up and breaking them loose laterally and stuff like that, I'll analyze the horse conformationally and I'll, I'll make a kind of a ballpark estimate of what I think this horse's abilities are going to be. And especially in regards to headset, just how how pretty of a frame could this horse potentially be in the long run. Once that's kind of out of the way though, then I put it on the back burner and it becomes the least of my worries because over the course of just getting the horse broke, broke loose, all the resistance taken out of it, it's going to almost take care of itself. And it's like when you completely forget about it and you just go and work laterally, it's almost like one morning you wake up and boom, here's, now you have a product that you can, you know, work with and, and show off and then take to another level. And a lot of the times we see a question about a headset and this horse is is nowhere near broke enough to potentially soften the horse up vertically at a canter. And if you haven't even done that, then its headset is, should be the least of your worries. Just get this thing broke, you know, and so I think that's probably number one in asking this question. Is people who have a horse that's way too green for this. You know, this particular question was someone that's still kind of in the passenger lesson, cruising around stage. They've just begun softening the horse up laterally and that's about it. So there's a, there are ways off,
0: a couple months off from even remotely addressing this, especially for somebody in that cult starting stage, regardless of what the horse is doing with his head as you're getting him loped out and lined out on loose rein and just putting some miles under his feet and getting the basics of forward motion, you can't put too much stock or too much concern in if he's got his head up high or if he's kind of flipping his head or just doing the other things that green horses do. It might be annoying to you, but if you try to tackle that issue right away, you're just going to create more problems for yourself. However, there's something to be said, and this is there's kind of a list of things I wanted to get into of stuff that usually gets thrown out by people as, oh, do this, you know, if your horse has got his head up in the air. And that was one of them was just lope him out. Tons of loping, just get him broke miles oh, under yeah. the feet. And lope them more, you know,
1: like the horse, like this particular horse is in the stage of getting a lot of miles on the horse and getting
0: them confident. But doing that alone is not really going to get the horse broke. It's a necessary stage in right. their training, but you can't just rely on loping them a hundred miles a day to just, take the edge off of him. You can't rely on that to get your job done for you. At some point you actually have to break this sucker loose left and right, start moving him off your leg. If all you ever do is lope the horse out, of course their head never comes down because they actually never get broke. So sure you can wear one out and he's drooping his head because he's exhausted, but the next day he's perked back up again. Kind of like a pigweed that you run over with the four-wheeler. It's been over today, but tomorrow it'll spring right back up just like it was before. The other thing a lot of people throw out, well, there's multiple things. This is the second one. Just back the horse up. A lot of backing up, build up the muscles in his hindquarters. It'll help him kind of naturally collect himself and his head is naturally going to come down. It's surprising how much this is thrown out there. This yeah. particular. But going back to what you said, like if the horse's conformation is such that he doesn't naturally have a low head carriage, you could back him up to Tim Buck, too, and he's not going to put that head down like a pleasure horse. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. No amount of like building up a
1: horse's muscles in their back and in their hindquarters is going to teach him how to move with collection. No. You no. know, building some sort of, of muscle mass and strength, it would enhance, theoretically, it would enhance your collection on a horse that understands it, but it by no means will create it out of the blue. Horses left to their own devices, you watch them run around in the pasture or on the nature shows. You know, when they run around on their own, they don't really do it in a very coordinated and efficient manner. No, as efficient as it could be. You know, their backs really hollowed out and their heads up in the air, and they're crossfire and then you know flailing their body left and right and diving left and right. Everything is very kind of lazy and sloppy. And it's up to us as riders to teach this horse the most efficient way to carry himself and move. And so simply creating muscle on the horse is really not going to replace or supplement that one little bit because he won't understand what he's supposed to do with his newfound muscle. And that's another thing as well. A lot of people that we run into that talk about backing horse up to build muscle, they back the horse up like five times a day, for a grand total of 50 feet in those five different times they back the horse up. Like, that does, it does nothing. It's not building up any sort of muscle mass at all. No. You know, you would literally have to back laps around the globe, you know, in order to build up
0: that kind of muscle we're talking about. Yeah, and even if you did that in a super committed way, the benefit would be kind of negligible, but that's that's an insight right there, is the fact that collection itself is kind of a, concept divorced from headset. A horse that's naturally predisposed to carrying his head low is going to adopt that frame once you start teaching him to collect and really carry himself with some efficiency, let's say. But like a high-headed rope horse, he can lope with a lot of collection and hindquarter push and still have his head up in the air, and he may very well even be soft and broke. It's just his natural headset is going to be higher. So, you have to take those things into account. That's not a silver bullet to get the horse framing up and loping pretty. Neither is tying their head down or like we see a lot of draw rein and martingale use. And this kind of has tinges of what we touched on a lot in our checking a horse back episode, where a lot of that headgear, a lot of those draw reins and different contraptions like that are taken out of context and put on horses that don't have enough preparation, don't have enough understanding of of how to give to that pressure, how to carry themselves with some frame and some face, and how to to soften and submit to that feel, and they actually end up just becoming more resistant. You watch horses that have had a tie-down on all their lives, when that thing comes off, look out, you know? And even in our own experience, we've known horses that they had the martingale overused on them to the point where... They are so good about just throwing their heads straight up and and leaping forward and climbing out of the bridle, it's unreal. They got taught how to evade pressure and take away the leverage of the human that's riding them by throwing their head up like that. And so, while it may be a temporary fix to use those devices, and don't get me wrong, in context they can help you, but a lot of times that stuff gets used as a fix-em-up type thing itself, and it actually makes the problem worse over time. It kind of masks over it for a while, but you're really not getting the horse more broke when you go to those things as the solution. Neither are you getting the horse more broke when you put a bigger bit in their mouth. And again, context matters. You know, we did an entire episode where we talked about how we'll alternate kind of strategically based on what we need between bits that are more subdued you might say versus more aggressive as far as the type of mouthpiece but it's amazing how much people put stock in like a particular bit that's like gonna set the horse's head in a particular angle and and really solve all their issues and it's not really getting at the issue which is that horse isn't broke enough no it doesn't matter what equipment you put on their head whether the marginal benefits are positive or negative in the longer equation you haven't really gotten that horse broke, especially through the body. He's still stiff. That problem is still in there. You're just kind of masking over the top yes, of it. Because it's almost like with, the uh, say, draw
1: reins or the martingale or a bigger bit. It's like the shock value in a way. So this isn't to say, especially bit wise, oh, well, go back to putting a smooth snaffle in, in the horse's mouth. And no, that's, you no. know, that's not what this is saying whatsoever. But a lot of the time they'll say, well, you know, get out the, the screw snaffle or the, or the bike chain or the, or the high port, you know, the cathedral port or, or something like that or the spade bit. And it works the next day or, you know, let me get out the, this brand new bit hot off the market that's got 87 different joints and sweet iron and has 13 rollers that go in all different directions, you know, and uh, the, the latest gimmick. And it's more of a shock value for maybe a day or two, because the horse is like, what is this? What You know, it kind of smacks him upside the head figuratively. Like, what is this? And it takes him a couple days to figure it out, and they're like, oh, uh uh-huh, I understand this, but nothing has really changed, has it? I'm not any more broke than I was before. And then
0: it goes back to the way it was. Yeah, you might initially get him back on his heels. That doesn't mean you've actually fixed the problem. Right. And the last thing that we see, and we wanted to address this one, because... A lot of this stuff, especially like the martingales or this, which is to use the club or the bat and just go to the horse's pole, just use a crop or a bat of some sort to just start putting pressure on his pole and force that head down. And just, you know, these these different options have their place in the right context, but they get taken out of context and they get put on horses that have zero preparation and where there's no justification for using it. And that's the case here where... You see a lot of people of that are quick to go to the bat or the stick or whatever they have on hand to whack that horse over the pole and try to force that head down. In our experience, and we always doubted the value of this, especially coming from more of the clinician angle, we were kind of a little bit tree-huggery on the idea that if we saw anyone ever using a crop or a bat of any kind, we'd be like, look at that ignorant person, you know, they're not a horseman, blah, blah, blah. What we realized, especially riding enough show horses, is that there's certain contexts where, especially if it's bad habits created from the martingale and other things previously, you have some horses that are so good about throwing their head up, like up and back to where they take all your leverage away instantly. They're so good at avoiding pressure that your only recourse as a rider is to actually go to the pole. But again, it has to be done in a smart way. There are certain cases where That's the effective option, because even bending the horse around laterally has lost its effectiveness, but a lot of people are too quick to go to that option, because again, the pole's kind of a sensitive area, you can really shock the horse in a way, and it's just kind of a quick out. It doesn't really, you know, most people that go to that option have not done the due diligence, let's say, with lots of bending, and suppling, and body work, they haven't done enough Preparation, quite frankly. When it comes to headset, first and foremost, you need to recognize your horse's talent level, how he's put together, his conformation, and just his overall physical ability. You know, if I'm riding a horse that looks like a gangly swamp camel, chances are he's not going to lope down the rail real pretty with his head perfectly level and his nose perfectly perpendicular to the ground. But as I said before, there's a difference between headset and collection. You can have a horse that's super soft, broke through the body. You can bend him around your leg. You can do all sorts of things with him. And he's not so rejecting of pressure that he takes your leverage away. You can drive him up into his face. He's soft. He's controllable. But he's got a higher head carriage than a horse that's, say, got raining blood in him that's really well put together, that kind of naturally finds that sweet spot where he carries his head nice and low. Whether it's a rope horse or a rainer, They're both capable of being soft and controlled. It's just how they're put together that there's a big amount of difference in. To that point, that doesn't mean we'll never work on headset, but it's not really headset. It's more like how they carry and engage their whole body or what we call frame. And that is something that we'll work on with the show horses that are, keyword, genetically, physically suited to that task. It's
1: ridiculous to even consider headset until you've had probably at least a minimum, I would say for a rough guideline, two weeks of work at with vertical at the canter, taking hold of them vertically while you're cantering and turning them loose and having them be soft and responsive. If you start teaching it, you know, day one, then two weeks later, you should, if you're taking your time and you have your, you know, good feel and timing, In that two-week span, you should be able to go from just a a quick, small little give, a slight try, and a quick release, and slowly build that to where you can hold it, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know, and continue holding that soft feel for more and more strides. So after about two weeks, you should have this horse soft enough and mentally submissive and responsive enough that now we can actually work on the way he carries himself and that he maintains that efficient mode of carrying himself say on a circle or on the rail or whatever you're you're particular working on but until you get to that point you get you're really just frustrating yourself and wasting time you know when all you really need to do is just focus on the task at hand simplify things get the horse broke first when you do that most of of everything will fall into place and then to get it over the hump the last little bit then you actually address it with vertical at that gate and mostly at the canter. And you can use, you know, a big thing that we harp on a lot that's going to pay big dividends in this is transitions. Mm -hmm. Lope to walk, lope to trot, trot to walk. Those transitions, you know, Mm -hmm. lateral transitions, bending them down around your inside leg, getting them to where they can just, when you pick up at a lope and they just melt down to a walk and around your inside leg, getting that, Is going to be a huge part of your vertical softness, and then also the frame and your collection and that nice headset.
0: So there's no easy answers, unfortunately, but the big answer really is don't worry about headset, especially in the early stages. Focus on getting that horse broke, and the more broke and confident and soft he gets, the more you'll find you can access that natural talent that's in him, and he'll start being relaxed enough to just adopt the most efficient, comfortable head carriage for what he's bred for. Now let's continue building on our previous two installments where we've been talking about different stopping drills that will really get a horse to commit, start using his hind end, and stopping really well off of just your voice. To the point where now, you know, before we go any further, I have to kind of offer this clarification. I don't think we made this point strong enough in the last podcast, which is that if you've been following those episodes and you've done the stopping exercises we've been laying out, both on and off the fence, and you've done them with enough consistency, your horse should be really stopping well before you move on. Really well, really committing with his hind end, really sticking his butt in the ground off of just your voice and minimal aid from you. And if he has any natural talent whatsoever, not only will he really be sticking his butt in the ground, he'll be sliding a little bit. Like that natural talent is going to start coming out at this point. But just realize that if if he's not showing some signs of some talent here, that he's going to be able to do a sliding stop, he's probably not going to. You just have to kind of accept what you've got. But by this point, the exercises we've done you should be starting to see the beginnings of an actual sliding stop on a horse that's talented and bred to do that.
1: Yes, yes. You don't move off the fence until the horse understands a sliding stop and they committed to it. If you if you get to the point, and I think we talked about this a little bit. I mentioned like a horse skating on their hind end where they're not driving with their hind end at all. They're not really committed behind. And if you get just get to that point, then you go off the fence things again when you change elements of the exercise it's go it's like a new new thing to the horse and so it gets more difficult um and it's almost like a new concept in the horse and i almost have to relearn it in a small small way so it's re- so if you have it kind of average on the fence it really falls apart in a big way off the fence so you have to make sure that that horse is really committed on the fence first then you can move off the fence and creativity is key you can't just go to the same spot on the fence, stopping it the same way every time, loping some circles, and then you go right at the fence and make it super, super obvious what's going on. You know, you need to make sure that you're not constantly tipping this horse off to when you are going to stop, because then he's really just relying on, he's almost cheating the system. He's just kind of setting you up, because he just knows, oh, here we go, we run We run the circle, same spot in the arena, we're heading over to the fence, oh, I know what this is, but if you then headed somewhere else and you just asked him to stop out of the blue, be like he'd be completely caught off guard. So you have to make sure you mix it up
0: throughout your loping different places in the arena and everything. Yeah, and one thing I personally still struggle with, and I know a lot of people will too, is that you can't offer those little tells that says to the horse, okay, I know what's coming, and then they're starting to get mentally ahead of you. You need to set up situations where you're testing how honest the horse really is, not offering lots of tells by leaning way back and really like setting yourself up for it and creating a bunch of anticipation, because then it's guaranteed to fall apart. That's probably the most difficult part of this for me is just having the feel to not do that, not set up for it, not anticipate for it, but still do this in an intelligent way where I'm mixing things up, you know, taking the best opportunities, let's say, of when the horse is running relatively straight feels good underneath me and when i do ask him to stop that i'm timing that right and if somebody's playing around with this at home that's relatively green as well you're going to start realizing that just the more you do those exercises that's going to become apparent and the best you can do is just consistently practice and when you see the horse anticipating or getting mentally ahead of you that should be a tip that you need to change something up or or do something a little bit different there. Right, right. So, where we're at right now, we're in the arena off the fence
1: asking the horse to stop. So, we, at this point, we hadn't really built much speed. Uh, I think I just briefly mentioned it in the last podcast. So, the two parameters, again, for this particular uh, method of stopping, is if you cue for the stop off just your voice again, no tipping off with the reins or your legs or your seat, just off the cue, whoa, if the horse tries to stop, but maybe it wasn't very good, then you back the horse up, then you spin them around, and then you would lope off in the opposite direction that you were going. So if I'm heading north and I ask him to stop, after I make the correction, I need to be loping back south. Let's always think the opposite way after the cue. You always, we always want to connect that cue if the horse, doesn't, if the horse ignores it or doesn't try very hard. We want to connect that cue with opposite way that you were just going. Think back mentally. So, and again, if the horse does not stop, then you pull them right around into a turnaround. There's no sense in trying to pull them all the way down to a stop and a backup. Just pull them around like you would on the fence and then lope off again in the opposite direction, set it up again. If this horse has some talent, we shouldn't be constantly having to pull the horse into a spin because he's not listening to the cue Mm -hmm. um so this is assuming that he's doing this fairly regularly i mean he may not try as hard sometimes and you have to make a correction but overall he gets the concept and he puts in the effort and he's stopping consistently and just slowly getting better every day with how he's doing it and again this is something that at this point we haven't been working on as a particular exercise now that we're off the fence We're just throwing this in throughout our loping sessions. You're not training it as a maneuver yet. Exactly, exactly. And we're not really adding any speed, doing a rundown across the arena. You know, we may lope some circles
0: and then just turn and cut across our circle and just stop in the middle of our circle or wherever. You're just trying to find a spot where the horse is running relatively straight, feels good underneath you, he's gathered up, he's not anticipating, and you ask for the stop. Exactly, exactly. So now we can actually start
1: adding a little bit of speed and start introducing a higher rate of speed and the cue. Because we want to slowly wean him on to a nice rundown. So we'll just use our outside leg. And what I mean by the outside is, say the horse is on the left lead. Your outside leg would be your right leg. Okay. And it's almost, the my leg is almost kind of like a gas pedal in a way. My calf is. The more that I press with my calf the more I'm pressing my foot down on the gas pedal, so the faster the car should go. And and the more that I let off of it, the car should slow down. It's the same thing here with my leg. The more I press it against the horse's side, the faster he should go, you know, the faster he should run. The more I take this, as I slowly remove my leg, he needs to rate back and slow down, judging on how much pressure is removed until the leg is, say, completely off in like a stop. So, on a colt, I don't want to... And there's two there's two different schools of thought on this, in a way. There's ask with your cue, press with your leg, and then cluck, and then from there, reinforce it with your legs and drive the horse forward and just kind of bump him at first and then slowly increase the pressure with your legs until he understands it. Or there's the press, cluck, and then just kick and make him jump forward and hustle, you know, and get him really responsive to that gentle squeeze with your leg. And I prefer and especially for young horses that are have never been exposed to this, I like to slowly, incrementally build on my cues. So I'll gently press, and then I'll cluck, and then I'll bump with my legs, my spurs, and I'll just slowly increase that bump kind of with a rhythm, like one, two, three, four, and just slowly increase how hard I may bump him with my spurs, until he bumps up a notch, or another gear, in that in his speed. Now I'm not not a drastic bump up in speed, but a, definitely enough to say that he's obviously going faster than he was before. Now, it may help, if you're unfamiliar with this, to have somebody watch you, because it's very easy, especially if you've been loping this thing around for a while, just kind of podunking around and real nice and slow, it may be really easy to, the moment he speeds up just a tad bit, it feels like, oh, we're really going somewhere. But you have somebody watch and they're like, no, you you move like a half a mile an hour faster. You know, you need to bump it up. So it may be helpful to have somebody watch and tell you, okay, that was obviously a change in the gait, but nothing out of this horse's uh, mental capacity. We're trying to stay within his range of comfort. So I don't want to add a ton of speed right away and completely blow his mind. But at the same time, too little bit of speed does me no good either, because then I'm just harping on the same stuff I've been doing, and I'm going to make my horse bored and resentful of his job. The whole point in adding the speed, yes, is for a maneuver later on, but it's more so for his own mental happiness and engaging, because we're giving him a new challenge, something else to wrap his head around. So it's important from both angles, a training and, a say, a showing perspective as well. So I'll cue with my leg, outside leg, and then cluck, and then bump and drive him forward till till he bumps up to that notch. Once I have him at that speed, though, Say, I'm trying, I'm loping him across the arena and he slows back down. Well, then I will go right back to bumping with my legs and driving forward. I'm not going to go back through all of my cues again. It's like I put you in cruise, now you need to stay there. Like the very initial stages, um, if we're doing the passenger lesson and a horse slows down, uh, we'll squeeze with our legs and then just spank and drive the horse forward. We won't go squeeze with our legs and then give him a second and then cluck couple times give him a second and then spank will just drive him forward right away because it's we set you at the speed you need to stay there so i'm not going to run all the way through my cues so once he's at that speed and he's maintained it you know for a fair distance across the arena i have not started rundowns right now all we're doing is adding a little bit of speed and doing the same thing as before i'll be working on my steering loping the horse around on my circles and then i may on the circle just turn him off the circle go through the center As I turn him, I'll build up a little bit of speed and then just say whoa. Again, not warning him about anything, just saying whoa and asking him to, you know, just melt down into that stop. The corrections are still the same. If the horse ignores it completely, then I will just pull the horse right around. If he stops, but not very well, I'll back him up first, then turn him around. If he does stop well, I will back him up a couple steps, just nice and slow, just for a good mental habit, and then sit there and turn loose. Now keep in mind that if your horse completely blows through the stop at this point, and where you've added speed, and he had been stopping well before, keep in mind that you may have added too much speed. It's very easy to get kind of greedy and start trying to run the horse down—a a little two-year-old down, like it's you know finals night at the fraternity. It's pretty easy to take a confident, quiet, lazy colt and then start running him really hard. So you have to keep in mind just how fast you've bumped this horse up. We're only going up the gears one speed and that's it just
0: gradually building that comfort zone one notch yes, at a time exactly before we go further obviously bumping with rhythm with your legs just to get that horse to kick it up into the next the next gear that's pretty self-explanatory but a lot of people would be curious as to why you would specifically cue by pressing with the outside leg and not both a lot of the people that i've learned from do not make that distinction Like you would press with both legs and then reinforce by kicking or bumping with both legs rhythmically. Why do you isolate the outside leg, particularly, at the start of your sequence of cues? Right, well, I think it's it's a couple different angles or, or reasonings behind it. I
1: think the most important one is the fact that you're trying to reinforce the horse staying in that lead as you increase the speed. And I have seen some people, you know, a lot of people I've seen, they run the horse completely without leg cues and it's just off of voice. Right. And the legs are just there to reinforce running faster. I haven't seen, I've, me personally, I haven't seen a lot of people that run the horse down with both legs. It seems like having both legs wrapped around the horse, they start to get uh, very dull and resentful about moving forward, and they just kind of suck back into their legs rather than moving off of them because I always feel two legs trying to drive them all the time. Mm-hmm. And so then it gets to the point where you feel like you're running, you're carrying the horse down there yourself because you're trying so hard with both your legs to get the horse to move forward. And it also may be more of a mental picture because it doesn't exactly look that way in a way, but it's like when I'm cueing with my, say my outside leg, my right leg, and the horse on the left lead, And my left leg is is off the horse. It's not, you know, splayed way out in front of him. It's just off. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a door there. And not sideways, but it's more, it's almost, think of it like my leg, my right leg is almost back towards his flank. And it's like pushing him forward. And my left leg is opening a door in front of him. And I'm pushing him with my one leg through the door that I've created with my other leg and driving him forward on that rundown um and i think going back to the horses like sole up to people's to people's legs having your one leg off and then out of the blue you can use it to drive the horse forward i think is another benefit as well to where they're not always feeling both legs and they just get numb and desensitized to yeah it. and i i definitely get the the mental aspect of that and i think there's another i guess Good point is there's less moving parts in a stop. Right. There's less ways that you could tip a horse off. When you have both legs squeezing and you're running horse down, it puts you in an awkward position sitting wise. You're kind of up forward a little bit more, um, with both legs squeezed into the horse where you're kind of sitting back a little bit more with just one. And so all you have to do as you say, whoa, and draw on a horse in a stop with a high rate of speed is really just take, just let loose of your, say, right leg just one leg and boom, you're into a stop where when you have two legs, you have to keep them on the horse until the last second and then take them both off. And it's very easy because you have to take both legs off and readjust your seat because having both legs squeezing on a horse, it changes your posture. It pushes Mm -hmm. more upright and forward. So you have to rebalance yourself and it tips the horse off like before you get a chance to actually cue him for the stop is it's hard unless you have a lot of self-discipline there and you just have a lot of feel and experience, you're going to constantly set the horse up for failure because he's going to pick up on your subtle cues of preparing your body
0: for a stop long before you actually ask him for a stop. Yeah. And as I already pointed out, one of my biggest weaknesses that I'm very aware of is my propensity to tell the horse early with my seat, with my legs, etc. So As you said about less moving parts in the equation, less complexity, the better. But still your legs are are active and engaged and in a way that reinforces that open door in front of them and also keeps them in the correct lead. I think that's a good perspective there. So, So moving on now that we've added speed,
1: the next thing that we need to get into is actually drawing on the horse and teaching them to stop off of a draw. Because we've, at this point now that we've added speed onto a horse on a rundown off of Woe, we've really established a good stop off the horse in the most, shall we say, vulnerable form. Because you don't have any pressure on his mouth, nothing in front of him. You're just saying a word and hoping that he'll stop. You know, essentially is what it is. You know, (laughs) there's really nothing there other than just that cue. And it's up to you with the repetition to train him that that word actually means something. So... It's like, if you teach it this way first, I've seen some people that teach the draw, but if you teach it this way first and the horse's first experience with stopping is taking just the word seriously, well then, shoot, the draw is really easy in a way because you've, the draw is actually something that's taking a hold of his face, something that's in front of him that would deter him from going forward. Whereas the, the word really means nothing to him. Yeah. You know, there's nothing there connected to the word. So if you teach the horse to stop, the first experience he has with stopping is just the subtlety of a word, no other hints or cues, and he'll drag his ass. Well, you've got a horse that's going to take a draw really seriously now, and it's yep. a matter of introducing that, and you could say, well, maybe you should introduce the draw while you're on the fence, and you, I've seen people that do that, and you definitely could. That's up to your own perspective. Me personally, I like to wait until I've added speed on a rundown with Wo. Because at that point, I have a horse that's really committed to it, knows his job and never doesn't miss a stop. Every now and then he may not try as hard as he possibly could or something like that, but he doesn't miss a stop. Everyone is consistently listening to the word. And, you know, I'd say 80% of the time he's really engaging his hind end and driving up underneath himself and pushing with his hind end. And for a colt, you know, I would say if if you can get 80% of the time, that's a pretty high percentage overall for, say, a green two-year-old. Um, and then from there, if I have it that well established with just a whoa, I feel it makes my job so much easier going to a draw. And then I, because the draw then takes no time to introduce, as long once they get the concept. Boom! You've already got them stopping so good that it's it comes easy. Yeah, and then from there you can incorporate it, and you know it makes your job so, so
0: much easier. That added leverage with the draw just dramatically puts an exclamation mark on what you've already accomplished with your voice. Kind of harkens back to when we were always talking about the turnaround and how sure you can hold them in there and manufacture that, but you really don't know how committed they are till so you try to get them turning around with them being turned loose in the face and that's where if you've got them stopping just off your voice and you've been you've been very disciplined about isolating that up to this point you'll take that performance and how they stop to a whole new level when you actually introduce that draw on the reins I want to finish off this episode with a brief note on what we're also going to cover in the next podcast kind of like we've been doing With our Advanced Horsemanship 101 segments, talking about more performance horse-related stuff and kind of having some structure there, we're going to talk about just basic groundwork essentials, because there's a tendency for people like us to discount the groundwork or downplay its significance, and it is really important. But it also comes from our experiences working at different show and performance horse barns, where you've got horses worth tens upon tens of thousands of dollars on the place that can't lead, don't want to load in a trailer. They don't want to stand still in the wash rack. They won't let you spray off their face as the assistant's leading it across the place. It's dragging its feet along with its head hanging on the lead rope like a little Mexican burro you know from the old westerns. So we're going to talk about some of those type of issues. And while that might be a little bit boring to some of our more performance horse oriented listeners, I feel like we need to do that foundation and just basic ground manners, subject matter, justice. So that's all coming up on the next episode, in addition to the final installment of our advanced stopping series, where we're really going to get into rundowns, stopping well off of a draw, sliding those horses. So thank you guys, as always, for listening. It's much appreciated. If you have questions for us, feel free to message us on Facebook, or give us a call. Our numbers are on the Facebook page as well. Thank you again for listening. Have a good day. Thank you guys for all your support on the Project Tours podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.